Thanks for tuning in to this podcast on KPOV.org. The following conversation with Ranger Randy and Dr. Danielle McKay, geologist and instructor at the University of Oregon, aired on the Sasquatch Hideaway as a series on KPOV 88.9 FM Band, Oregon in 2018. In this segment, we'll hear about the volcanic activity in central Oregon and local landmarks. We'll learn what is a shield volcano or a composite volcano, and what's with all the cinder cones, and what is a butte anyway? We have a lot of local landmarks that are mm-hmm. in their geological makeup. Is that, is that yeah, yeah? <laughs> so, like Pilot Butte, is that part of Newberry or is that something else? Yeah, so Pilot Butte is um, is part of Newberry Volcano. Newberry Volcano is a very large shield volcano, and humans love to classify everything, and we classify volcanoes based on shape. That tells us the shape of the volcano, but it doesn't necessarily tell us how the volcano is going to erupt. And the basic shapes of volcanoes are shield-shaped volcanoes, which have kind of a low profile. They have a very big footprint, meaning they, they can take up a very large area, but they usually aren't very high in elevation because they have these low sloping sides. So Newberry is an example of a shield-shaped volcano. Stratovolcanoes or composite volcanoes are generally what we think of as the tall pointy volcanoes like Mount Hood or the Three Sisters or Mount Jefferson. And they get their names from the layers of rock. If you could cut through these volcanoes and look at all the layers, those would be strata, so stratovolcano, or they would be a composite, so composite volcano. They would be a composite of ash or lava flows or different material making up the volcano. But really, when you think of a volcano like Newberry, a shield-shaped volcano, if you cut through Newberry and expose all the layers of Newberry, it also is a composite volcano. So we get into this area where the different classifications actually overlap. Newberry volcano is a shield-shaped composite volcano. There's another shape of volcano called a cinder cone, and cinder cones are pretty familiar to most people who live in central Oregon. Pilot Butte is an example. They're a small volcano, usually on the sides of a much larger volcano, but not always. And Pilot Butte is a small cinder cone on the sides of Newberry Volcano. And that just gives you an idea of how big Newberry Volcano is. The summit of Newberry Volcano is Palina Peak, and East Lake and Palina Lake are in the kind of the summit caldera of Newberry Volcano. And then the sides of that volcano slope all the way north to Bend, essentially, because Pilot Butte is at kind of the northernmost extension of of Newberry Volcano. And then the lava flows from Newberry Volcano have gone even farther to the north and and in other directions as well. So yeah, Pilot Butte is an example of a cinder cone. Lava Butte is an example of a cinder cone. And many of the buttes in Central Oregon, not all of them, but many of them are cinder cones. One of the questions I get is, why is it called a butte? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. It doesn't mean anything. There's no technical definition for the term butte. It doesn't mean that it's a certain elevation. A mountain isn't something that's taller. And a great example that is probably uh, familiar to a lot of people in Central Oregon is Mount Bachelor. Mount Bachelor used to be called Bachelor Butte, but nobody really wants to come and ski on a butte. Mount Bachelor sounds a lot better, so the name was changed to Mount Bachelor, and that's perfectly acceptable in geology. Uh, The term mountain doesn't mean that it's bigger or smaller, and I think it's just cultural that here in Central Oregon a lot of the cinder cones have been named buttes. But there are some buttes that are not actually cinder cones. So again, it just there is no technical meaning for the word butte. It's just a name like hill or mountain and it can be used for any feature. <laughs> okay, how about Aubrey Butte? Yeah, Aubrey Butte is a small shield volcano. Uh, so again, another example of Pilot Butte and Lava Butte are cinder cones and they have this name Butte. Aubrey Butte is a very small shield volcano and it has the name Butte. 
trying to think of some other uh, Klein buttes. Uh, again, are called butte, but they're not cinder cones. They're actually lava domes. And lava domes are uh, an entirely different geologic formation than a butte. The rock itself is entirely different. So again, that's just sort of the culture of how it was named. And it doesn't say anything about the geologic history of the, of the formation or the landform. So how old is Aubrey Butte? That's a great question. We don't have an exact answer to that. Um, the way that we figure out the ages of volcanoes is we take samples of the rock and we do usually radiometric dating. So a lot of people are familiar with carbon dating. And carbon is, is an element that has these different isotopes. Um, and you can use the different isotopes, the ratio of different isotopes, to figure out how old uh, a material is because the, the, they'll actually, one isotope of carbon will transition to another isotope of carbon. So that's pretty heavy in chemistry, um, but it's handy for getting a date for material. Rocks, volcanic rocks, don't generally have a lot of carbon in them. They usually have none, <laughs> but they do have other materials like argon or potassium, other elements that also have isotopes. And so we can use those isotopes to date rock material. And Aubrey Butte is one of those areas in Oregon that has never been dated. So we don't know the exact age of it. We can, uh, th these isotopic dates give us what's called an absolute date. And even though it doesn't mean we, we don't know the, the day or the year <laughs> that that rock formed, we do have a very good age for how old that rock is. There are also relative dating techniques. And relative dates just mean well, we know it's older than this or younger than this. And Aubrey Butte, we know that it formed probably sometime in the Pleistocene, which could be anywhere in the last 2 million years to 10,000 years. And the reason we know that is we just we, we know it's younger than other lava flows that have come kind of along uh, the base of, of Aubrey Butte. Most of Bend is built on lava flows from Newberry Volcano. We have dates for those lava flows, and they're much younger than Aubrey Butte. So we can get some kind of relative ages for Aubrey Butte, but we don't know how old the Butte is. Would that be considered part of the Cascades or not? Yeah, I think in general, most of the volcanoes here in Central Oregon, not all of them, but most of them are collectively kind of considered part of this central section of the Cascades, which has been the most active section. And as part of that you know, highly active section of the Cascades, that means that not all of the volcanic vents were in the high Cascades themselves. So they're not all near Three Sisters or Mount Bachelor. Some of them are a little farther east, like Newberry or Pilot Butte on the sides of Newberry or Aubrey Butte. So yeah, I think they're, they're all collectively kind of considered part of the Cascades, meaning that the magma came from subduction. But there might be some of these other processes like high lava plains or something called back arc spreading, which is really sort of a, we could spend a terms, several weeks worth talking about what that is, but it's, it's essentially kind of volcanic activity that's associated with a volcanic range like the Cascades, but actually occurs sort of off, off from the main axis of, of volcanic activity. Uh, but again, the ultimate reason for that is subduction. So I think that most people who study volcanic activity here in Central Oregon would consider these smaller volcanoes like Aubrey Butte to be part of the Cascades, but not all of them, since there are different processes that are occurring. Not all of them are part of the Cascades. There's one feature that 
I've always wondered about because I live near it. <laughs> and that's the uh, Dry Canyon in Redmond. Yeah. Yeah, so the Dry Canyon in Redmond, um, if you visited it, you see a lot of basalt, and so that's a lava flow. And that lava flow came from Newberry Volcano from the, to the south of Bend and is another really good example of just how extensive some of the lava flows from Newberry have been. They have flowed and covered most of what is now Bend, most of what is now Redmond, and have gone all the way up into the, the Lake Billy Chinook area. They, they got channeled into the Deschutes River and the Crooked River. So that's where the lava flow came from. It came from Newberry Volcano. And then the Deschutes River actually carved that canyon through the lava flow. So that is an ancestral path of the Deschutes River. And the Deschutes River has been, throughout its history, it has been pushed around by lava flows. So if a lava flow comes down from Newberry Volcano, it can push the river off to the west and it has to form a new path, usually through older lava flows. And if a lava flow comes down from the Cascades, that will push the Deschutes River off to the east and it has to cut a new path, again, usually through lava flows. So there are several uh, abandoned sections of the Deschutes River and Dry River is one of those. So uh, would that have been a softer lava there for some reason? or No, it's all, it, it sort of has no choice but to go through basalt. <laughs> In that area, it's all basalt lava flows. And so it just cut through, through the basalt lava flows. Oftentimes, the river will cut maybe between um, where two lava flows meet. That can sometimes be a little bit easier to erode through. But when the river has no choice but to cut through basalt, it will cut through basalt. And that's what it did for, for Dry River Canyon. Okay. It kind of looked like it might have been one of those reverse topography things where there had been softer material there and surrounded by the lava. Yeah. There, there are some examples of, of reverse or inverted topography, and that's when a lava flow flows through a river canyon or, or a river bed. Um, and so the shape of the lava flow sort of follows that channel of the river. And then everything around the lava flow erodes. So you have a ridge, high topography, that was once the lower topography. Um, but that's not the case at Dry River Canyon as far as I know. I think that was just a canyon that was cut by the river. Um, and then at some point, uh, a lava flow farther upstream, not in the Redmond area, but farther upstream, came and pushed the river off to the west, and it had to cut a new canyon. I hope you enjoyed this podcast on KPOV, your high desert community radio station. Go to kpov.org for more information and our program schedule. We value your feedback, so please send any comments or suggestions to podcast at kpov.org.